Uh, we're continuing, and uh, from what I understand, hopefully ending soon, a, a series on uh, the resurrecting the rest of life. And really the idea behind this series is that uh, the resurrection should impact really every part of our existence. And, and as human beings, um, it's really actually easy for us to make separations between what happens here and what we think of as the sacred, and then out there, um, what we think of as the secular. And the idea behind this uh, series is that when Jesus was resurrected, he didn't just resurrect our spiritual life, he resurrected all of life. In fact, all of life is spiritual life. And so we have to think about things like rest, like work, like parenting, like all these things that we do day in and day out as part of our spiritual existence. Now, the good news for me is that uh, Neil and I, we like to do a little tag team thing. And if you've seen uh, NCIS or any of those Law & Order type shows, you know there's such a thing as good cop and bad cop. Uh, Neil's bad cop. So last week he got up and he was like, you should start running. <laughs> yeah, get, get, uh, get out there. Uh, stop eating so poorly. Like, take care of yourselves, you animals. Uh, that, that's, that's sort of Neil's uh, gig. He, he hits some of those, those types of things. He's like, work harder a couple weeks ago. <laughs> You're not producing enough. Um, and so I then get to come up and talk to you about fun, which is really fitting because I'm a super fun guy. And I love to have fun. Actually, Neil, he, he wanted me to do the, uh, the, the sermon on, on taking care of your body. And I was like... <laughs> yeah, that... No, that... You should probably have someone with experience. Hit that. Uh, we, it's so funny. We think about um, what we do. We play right? And we think that play is just, that's our thing. That's what we do. We just have fun. And, and it really, you know, there's church over here and then there's play, there's fun. And that's something that we just do. And it doesn't really, how are they related? And that's what we'll talk about today. But in order to understand how play and your spiritual life are related, we have to start at the end. And that is in heaven. You're gonna, we're going to have to understand what he, a little part of what heaven is like in order to understand how our enjoyment, our fun, our play uh, fits in to what uh, our, our spiritual life. And so I'm just going to throw out a few of the descriptions that we get um, in Revelation 21 and 22 um, for what heaven, what the new Jerusalem is like. In fact, I would even suggest to you that heaven is almost a misleading term in our culture because when we think of heaven, we think of clouds and we think of, um, you know, harps and whatnot. And really, when we get to Revelation, we find that heaven is actually a very physical, very earthy thing. It's called the new heavens and the new earth. It's, it's a place. It's, there's, there's physicality to it. But there's also something that is a little bit otherworldly from our perspective. And so you'll get uh, descriptions like this. There's, uh, in Revelation 21, 18, we're told that there's a wall outside the New Jerusalem. There's a wall, and it's made of pure gold, but it is also transparent as glass. Now that seems very strange. How could that be? We find out that there is a river of life. Uh, this is in Revelation 21, or 22, 1 and 22, 2. Um, that the, the river of life is bright as crystal, and yet it flows out from the throne of God. There's a river that comes from God's throne. It's very strange. Moreover, we find out that the, the, on, uh, the river flows through the middle of the city street, which is very bizarre. If you think about it, you'd have a, 
It's like a highway, a road, and yet in the middle of it, there's a river. It's very strange. Then we find out that, uh, this is in Revelation 22, 2b, the second part of that, that verse, that on either side of the river grows the tree of life with 12 fruits that provide the healing of the nations. And it says there's one tree. There's one tree, and it's on either side of the river. So, I mean, if you're imagining, if you're trying to picture um, the image, you're, you're seeing a tree that, I guess, uh, sort of transverses uh, both the road and the river and goes for a distance. It's a, it's a, it's a strange a strange image. And I want to suggest to you two things, and we're going to explain how we get there, about heaven. First, and this is the first thing on your note sheet, heaven achieves the aim of all worthwhile human crafts. Okay? Heaven achieves the aim of all worthwhile human crafts. That's the first thing. And second, heaven is designed to elicit, heaven elicits unbounded, unadulterated, that means pure joy from human beings. Heaven elicits unbounded, unadulterated joy from human beings. And these descriptions, these, these uh, interesting and, and maybe a little strange descriptions, I think are, are Im- embedded into them is th- those, this, two, this twofold uh, point about heaven, that it achieves the aim of all worthwhile human crafts, and it elicits unbounded, unadulterated joy from human beings. Now let me see, uh, how does this work? All right, first, pure gold. If you've touched pure gold, you've noticed that it is what? white or gold or, or yellow, right? It, it's, uh, the color of gold is, is yellow. How, and when you have a, a hunk of pure gold, you can't see through it, right? But if you've ever seen someone who's, for example, hammered out gold leaf, you know that with enough force and enough pressure, you can actually stretch the metal to the point that it really does become see-through. It becomes translucent, Right? It can be spread out. You can make actually pages out of it. I, there's actually a Bible somewhere that uh, someone made a long time ago that, that's the entire Bible made out of gold leaf. And it's actually like this thin because gold leaf is so thin. Um, but at the same time, you can make gold do that, right? That's what human, human beings can do that with our crafts, with our ingenuity. We can spread it out. But you couldn't make a wall out of it. You could never make gold that, that is translucent, that is see-through, and yet could also bear a load. And so the idea of the, heaven, the new heavens and the new earth is that there's, there's an element to which it's familiar. Yes, gold can become translucent. Yes, it can be transparent as glass. But, but it, can't, it could never, in, in our experience, hold up a wall. It could never uh, bear a load. And yet you can see, though, that if human craftsmen were to get around and really work with gold, the goal, the idea of what you could do with gold would be something like that if you could just, I don't know, mess around maybe with the laws of physics. Now, we have a river of life that's bright as crystal and flows from the throne of God. This flows through the middle of the city street. An interesting idea. In fact, if you think about um, Frank Lloyd Wright, he has that house that he designed, the architect, where there's a, a little brook that goes through the home. Right? So, so you're, you walk into the house and there's your stream. Right? It's an interesting idea. And what he's trying to get at, he's trying to say, well, wouldn't it be good? What, what, what could be better than having both all the advantages of an urban um, communal setting, a home, right? a city, and yet all of the advantages of nature, of, of, of the country, of a rural, fresh, vibrant life? If we could just put those together somehow, we could uh, make something that would be perfect, beautiful for human beings. Yes? Well, that's exactly what we see in uh, heaven. There's this 
in the New Jerusalem, there is both the urbanity, the, the, the advantages of a city, and yet together with that is, is nature. And they're interwoven. They're so together that it's, it's not like what we do, right? We have New York. And in New York City, we get so tired of the grime and the dirt and the dust that we've got to make a park, right? And we separate it out. Or in, in Ladera or in Mission Viejo, we've got to have these special places that are set apart to have a little bit of nature in the middle of our urbanity. Well, you can see the, the idea there. We, what we want is our, 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 the goal, the aim of our craftsmanship is to create this, this sort of uh, world that's both has the advantages of urbanity and also has the advantages of nature. And we see that in heaven, those two are brought together perfectly. They're woven together. The ultimate aim of human craftsmanship is achieved. Um, but more than that, the idea behind these descriptions is not just that um, what's going on in heaven is sort of the end, end, the end goal, the aim of, of human craftsmanship, but it's also at the same time something that should elicit joy, something that should elicit awe and, 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 and delight in human beings. A city that shines, that's it's perfectly designed to, to, to open up our eyes and make us Fall down in awe. You know, in, in the New Jerusalem, you have this tree, and, and we think of trees as something that should sustain our life. This tree does more than sustain life. It heals the people of the world, all of them. Everyone who eats of this tree is healed utterly, completely. It's a delight. It's joyful in what it does. It hits the aim, yes, of human craftsmanship. We're always trying to improve our diets, as Neil told us. Um, in our Sermon on the Body. We, no carbs, that's a thing. Um, it worked for me for like a month, and then I gave up. And uh, 40 pounds later, I'm thinking about starting it again. We'll see. Nevertheless, the idea that we could, um, if we perfectly crafted the way we eat and, and, the, and the kinds of fruits that we develop, then, then surely we could sustain life. This takes that to the next level. It heals the nations. And when we see this city, we're overwhelmed by joy. We're overwhelmed by delight. It is a place that is perfectly designed to elicit in us all of the things we want, the kinds of emotions and feelings that we want. Not only is it just no sorrow, no pain, no sickness, no death, it is also utter and complete celebration, delight, and joy. Heaven achieves the aims of all of our worthwhile human crafts. It, it, it does, even though we could never make a wall out of translucent gold, we can imagine, we can, we can strive after that. Better and better buildings and metals and, and walls that, that, that can achieve that. And yet heaven achieves what we could only aim at. And then at the same time, we look at that wall and we're moved to awe at the glory and power of God. And we, we respond in joy. Well, that's the end. That's heaven. That's where we're going. That's how things sort out. But there's another place in Scripture that has a very similar um, sort of dynamic going on. It's a, it's a place in Scripture where um, we meet little Miss Wisdom in Proverbs 8. And if you look in your note sheets, I have written out... Um, a little piece of, of Little Miss Wisdom and the way that she responds to God's creation. Now, this is not the end. This is not Revelation. This is the beginning, as you'll see. So we've been to the end. Now we're at the beginning. Let's stand and read this together. This is Proverbs eight twenty-two to 31. 
Um, I've made some alterations to the text, I, uh, so if you read off the, um, off the note sheet, that'll probably be more helpful. It begins, the Lord fathered me, this is Little Miss Wisdom, at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I was formed from everlasting, from the beginning, before there ever was an earth. When there were no depths, I was born. When there were no fountains abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was birthed. While as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primeval dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, I was a little child at his side. And day by day I was full of delight, playing always before him, playing in his inhabited world and delighting in humanity. You may be seated. Our response when we see the vision of heaven is one where we see the aim, the end of all that we could do as human beings. And yet also it is the place where we are uh, just delight, delighted, joyed. Um, uh, we celebrate, we're awed by what God can do. Well, I want to suggest to you that this is the same thing that's happening with Little Miss Wisdom in Proverbs 8. Now, uh, let's just make a point on your note sheet here. Little Miss Wisdom is a metaphor. This is uh, the next thing in your note sheet. It's a metaphor for the wise, God-fearing person. Just a small aside, um, I've made some alterations to the New King James here, and the reason I've done that is because the New King James smooths out a lot of the child and birth and play language. And there's a reason for that. It's because the New King James um, is following uh, a tradition, a Jewish tradition of interpretation that wants to get this text away from paganism. Uh, in, in Egyptian myths, there are Egyptian myths about a uh, sort of their, their god fathering a, uh, a, a goddess wisdom, and they, they thought that this was like a real thing. Um, and so in order to avoid the idea that, that Jewish monotheism, Jewish belief in one god is somehow uh, being penetrated by that, the, the New King James and also the um, Septuagint and uh, the Masoretic text, they interpret these, uh, the, these words away from this type of language. I'm bringing it back because it's unavoidable. And moreover, I'm bringing it back because we don't need, we understand this is poetry. Okay, this is, the, this is poetry. This is, um, I don't have it sort of written out the way that it would be in Hebrew where it's, uh, where you can see the structure of the poem, but this is not a literal historical um, understanding. There is no, God never actually gave birth to a, a little goddess named Wisdom, and she wasn't actually there during creation. That's, it's just a, it's a metaphor, it's a poem that gets us to think a little bit differently about creation. Okay, and so I've, I've kept some of that language to get a sense that what we're supposed to see is we're supposed to see this little girl, um, the, the word's actually um, nursling, she's just finished weaning, and she's running about, and in that uh, day and age, you'd probably wean until about three or four years old. So she's finished that, and she's running about, and as she's running about, she's a part of the creation process. And she's seeing how God sets everything up in order, in, in perfect harmony. And she's, she's, and what does she do? Like, like any little kid, if you take a little girl, especially mine, and you set her down in a field that she's never been in, what is she going to do? She's gone! She has to explore. She has to, she's excited. She wants to discover. She frolics. She plays. She wants to see what's out there. It's new. It's exciting. It's wild. 
Little kids, they, they, they live in a different world than we do because they go out and they want to achieve something that they've never achieved before. They want to, they, it's all brand new to them. It sparkles, it's light, it's life. And the little girl, this little girl wisdom, she's out there and she begins to see the expanse of creation. She sees these, these phenomenal uh, rains that come and she sees how the oceans move up to a point and then move back and she, she wants to go and play. She wants to delight in it. She wants to respond to this creation in a way that's, that's fresh and joyful. The reason I brought this language back in this text is because it's signaling something really, really important. If the little miswisdom is a metaphor for the God-fearing, wise seeker, then maybe we should do what little miswisdom does after she's been born. Maybe we too should go out and play. Maybe we should respond to the world that we're in by frolicking, by having fun with it. Let me suggest this, uh, the next thing in your, your note sheet. It says, genuine play, one, is the origin of every worthwhile human craft. Play, playfulness, is the origin of every worthwhile craft in humanity. Number two, play can, not always does, but can result in a transcendent experience of joy and joyfulness. Number two, play can result in a transcendent experience of joy. Little Miss Wisdom, she goes out and begins playing. If you've ever watched children play, or you've played yourself, you understand some interesting things about play. Play starts out as just fun, right? When I was uh, young, I loved those Legos. Uh, they're, uh, they're fun. I found over time that I wasn't very good at Legos. I, it's hard to say that there's good and bad at Legos, but I, I mean, the best that I could do was follow the instructions to get the pirate ship. Not so with Scott Eichler. Scott Eichler had, uh, there was a, in, uh, in his room, I think it's been dismantled, but in his room for a long time was Trojan. You remember Trojan? Oh, yeah. Trojan was a big robot that, uh, well, he had, he, I think he was made out of castle walls. I'm not sure. But he had uh, about 30 missiles um, that Scott had created out of nothing. He had uh, laser eyes that Scott had created out of nothing. He, it was really a, just a fascinating... I, I, I wished, I was jealous, I wished that I could do that. And it, that. But that's how play starts, right? Play starts, I'm putting the, the Legos together, and then I think, man, what if I could do this? What if I could create something more, right? And then I look at somebody like Scott, and I realize, wow, there's a lot more here. There's a lot more that could be done And if you think about it, so say, say Scott went, went ahead and just continued with the Legos. Say he'd never really grown out of it, and he just really pressed forward. Think about what would happen. Well, eventually, Scott would uh, maybe reach the limit of his own imaginative ability, right? And then he would sort of look to others who are, who are masters of the craft, and he would then become, uh, maybe learn from them some of their techniques, different ways that you could use certain Lego blocks to come up with new and interesting uh, ways of fulfilling his imagination, 
It starts out as fun, but after a while, it starts out as just, just for giggles, but after a while, it becomes a craft, a practice, a discipline even. If you really want to be a master builder of Legos, you have to learn the rules, learn the craft, learn the best, learn from the best, take on their techniques. And I want to suggest to you that every single craft, and craft is, we're going to make that a very large, um, we're going to define that widely, begins with play. Everything that humans do begins with play. Play is anything you do for fun. Um, there's actually a number of times that the words uh, in this text that we looked at uh, for play or playing get used. And usually they're used with, with referring to like making music. right? In fact, the Hebrew word for play is the same thing as make music or dance. Right? Um, but play is just something you do. It's like dance. It just happens. It's something you do because you like it. It's fun. Right? Um, and when we do it the first time, the first time you really do something, where we really play, it's, it's, almost, uh, it's almost like you lose yourself in it. There's a kind of joy that comes from just that, that just doing something that for whatever reason you just love it. It's just great. And, and, and the time flies by and you wake up and you're like, what just happened? I, I just spent three hours doing this thing and it's like no time passed at all. I had a friend in college, Dave, who uh, played violin. And I once asked him, and they were in a band, and they would perform. And I asked him well, what it's like to perform. And he said, I don't even remember it. It's like I start, and I get so into the song, and, and the notes, and the creating, that it happens, and then it's, it's finished, and I don't even notice the intervening time. He just gets lost in the play. Play could be anything. Don't, don't narrow it. I mean, what, I've written these things down. Yes. Uh, yeah. Music and dance, that's the Hebrew for play. Uh, that's one thing. But there's so much more. Uh, sports, related physical activities like hiking, reading or writing books, hosting dinners or soirees, poetry, creating or enjoying art, cooking, engaging in conversation, video games, straws. Driving, fixing motorcycles, playing with Legos, designing fashion, applying makeup, etc., 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 etc. The interesting thing about play is that some people, a very, very, very small number of people, actually play when they're at work. Their work is play. Play is anything that you do just because you love it. Play is anything that, can, that has the possibility of bringing about that joy, that, that getting lost in fun. And some people, some people get paid for it. Jerks. I won't even suggest to you that uh, business, sales, that could be play if you love it, if it's just what you want to do. Uh, Arch used to sell Bibles, and it was his favorite thing because he loved giving people the Word of God. There you go. Now, Every, be, every part of play, every, everything we do with fun eventually becomes a craft. Baseball stars uh, start playing baseball because they like it, not because they're going to get rich. I'm encouraging Alice to go into either golf or tennis because those are the, probably the most lucrative sports for female athletes. But really, it's going to be about her. What engages her? What makes her excited? What does she love? Right? And then after that, 
You know, when Rihanna or Beyonce started singing, they didn't start singing because they're like, I want to be a pop star. They started singing because they loved it. And then after a while, it becomes a craft. And after a while, a craft eventually becomes a tradition. Um, I mean, I guess probably my favorite example would be football. Um, Football is not just... um, well, let's see. If you want to be a great, fo- uh, great football player, right? Uh, we'll use basketball. If you want to be a great basketball player, you have to watch tape to begin with, right? So you start out playing basketball, you enjoy it. The next thing you have to do is you have to begin watching the greats, and you learn from the greats, and you master their strategies and their abilities and their moves, and then, then, once you get to a certain level, and Kobe actually talks about this in interviews, once you get to a certain level, you begin adding in your own flair. You change the craft. You become part of a stream of practices that you actually alter by, by, by mastering and participating in them. Um, if you've read The Blind Side, the movie doesn't help, but the, the book is fantastic. The Blind Side, it's, uh, Michael Orr, he's the, uh, the defensive tackle. No, offensive tackle. Offensive lineman, guard, whatever. He's on, he's on the left side of the line of scrimmage. Uh, he plays for um, the Baltimore Ravens. But there's this book about him. And the book starts out uh, talking about Bill Belichick and how Bill Belichick changed the game of football. Because before Bill Belichick, what dominated football was kind of just this, like, grind-out running strategy, right? You just get the ball, Chicago Bears style, and just plow down the field. Very manly, very rugby-like. Bill Belichick came in, and he, had, he, he, he learned from the masters, he learned how football worked, and then he added in a, a, a new dynamic. He did what's called the precision passing game. And he made the basic, basis of his offense a simple play where he would have his quarterback step back, count to about four, and then throw the ball right to a, a wide out who was going to be right on the sidelines. And if you memorize this and you practice this, you could get the ball off before the uh, defensive line got to your quarterback. And it revolutionized football. Football went almost overnight in the space of two seasons from a ground-based running game to a game that we all love, well, most of us love now, where it's just huge passes, big time. It's all air now. It's all in the air. Because Bill Belichick learned, he started out playing because he likes football, he developed a craft, learned from the masters, and then innovated in a special way. Now, you might be wondering why we're talking about all this play and fun, what this has to do with heaven. Let's get there. Bill Belichick, his, his gift in the blind side was that he saw where football was. And then in his imagination, he could see where it might go. He had a vision for how the entire craft of the game, the tradition of football, might radically change to become something altogether new. It was in his mind, and then he executed it. And as he did so, Bill Belichick, very grumpy man, doesn't uh, seem to be a happy fellow, but if you watch him on the sidelines, he's like this. But then, when Tom Brady nails that sweet pass, Bill Belichick explodes. You know that feeling when you're in the midst of play and it all clicks, it all work, work, uh, works just right. He's, he's mastered the craft and then he explodes in joy, unadulterated, passionate joy. Bill Belichick experienced in his development of the craft of football the very same thing we see 
that will be the reality in the new Jerusalem. He saw where the craft could go. I mean, he's obviously limited because he's using human players. Uh, But he could see where it might go. And at the same time, he experienced the pure joy that comes from playing the game. And so I want to suggest to you this. Play. Play is practice for heaven. I don't have a place for that on your note sheet, but I don't know, maybe you could write that somewhere. Play is practice for heaven. When you play, you become a part of a craft. You begin to see how the craft might go. You, might, you, you begin to see what, what a new and, and innovative and exciting thing could be, and you can go after it. And at the same time, you can be filled with the joy of responding to the good things God's given us. In the New Jerusalem, we see the way that it's described that the whole city, the whole world, the new heavens and the new earth will be a place that achieve our greatest longings for what the world could be like. And at the same time, will elicit in us an incredible, innocent, simple joy, the joy of having fun. And so when you play, and I should add, play well, it's like you're practicing for the next life. Now I want to suggest to you this, though. I, you know. No, let's move on. We don't have time for that. All right, uh, last thing. Um, you'll notice on your note sheets it says, not all play is Christian, but every Christian ought to play. And I have a list of, of five or four, four or five points that uh, we should probably think about when we play. I want to suggest to you that so far we've seen that play is something that's both built into the created order and the wise person will participate in it. And we've seen that if you play and when you play well, you're headed towards a, a, a temporary and partial but very real experience of what heavenly new Jerusalem life is going to be like. And so you should think maybe then that play is very serious business. Play isn't just fun. Well, I guess it's fun, but it's also very serious. It's a very important part of human life. Every Christian ought to be playing. If you're not playing, you're not getting ready for the big game. You're not practicing for your next life. But we also need to think that we need to play well. Play can be dangerous. Think about this. There are different ways of playing that require meditating on evil or participating in evil. That's not good play. I mean, the obvious example in history would be, you know, the arena, gladiatorial combat. That was play. That was fun. <laughs> Whoa. If you, if you want to get good at gladiatorial combat, you have to get good, what, at killing people? That's not play. In fact, if you want, and you can put this in your note sheet, uh, if you want to know whether or not your play is Christian, think about this. Will your play be the kind of thing that fits in heaven? Right? Will, what you do for fun, is it something that will fit in heaven? Will your play fit in the New Jerusalem? And if it won't, if you think about it and you're like, ugh, then maybe you need to find a new game. I want to suggest to you also this, playing poorly subverts the point of us having play in the first place. 
uh, you know, you can get very, very good at soccer um, by falling down every time someone comes close to you. I've been watching this World Cup, and it is a disaster. The, uh, really, I'm, I'm going to call them out. South America, what a, wow, what a continent. Um, those, those guys are absolutely ridiculous. Uh, every time I watch a game, so if you've got the ball and you're in a position to score, you're running, you're running. As soon as the ball is like not, you're not able to control it, ah, oh, my knee, my knee. They're wondering why this sport's not catching on in the States. I mean, come on. Football players are like, they just get up and do it again. Uh, yeah, but if, you're, if, you're, if what you're doing, the kind of practices that, you, that you're developing in order to succeed at your game, if they're the kinds of things that don't fit in the kingdom of heaven, change the way you play. The game that you're playing, the way that you're having fun might be fantastic, but the way that you're having fun doing it might be evil. It might be wrong. Aaron tells me, though, that flopping is actually a part of the sport of soccer. <laughs> it's an integral part of, of playing well to uh, fake like you're hurt in order to get an advantage. Uh, I'm, I'm trying very, very hard to be a soccer fan. Uh, if you don't know, Aaron was a uh, semi-pro soccer player, so it's really important for me to pretend or eventually to really genuinely enjoy the game, and I'm working on it, but it is hard. It is hard. That's another thing. If you're playing poorly to succeed, your, your play is not good. Does your play bring you closer or farther to joy? Does it take you closer or farther away from joy? Some people should not be allowed to play golf because it breaks them psychologically. They become uh, not human beings because it's a demanding game. I would never succeed at golf because I would just be like, this is stupid, and throw my club away and be angry all the time. Worse than I already am at home. Does, does what you do for fun make you a joyful person? If it doesn't, you need to change your game because you're not practicing for your next life. Your next life is going to be filled with joy, unending joy. And if you are playing in such a way that you're just angry, uh, uh, upset, failing, um, then you need to, if it's just frustration and contempt and anger, then that is not a good game for you. Change, well, you're, why are you doing it? You're not having any fun. Doesn't that kind of miss the whole point? The next thing, if you do not play, start. This is practice for heaven. There are some people, and in the Christian tradition, we do have a reputation for this. Uh, you've heard, what is it, H.L. Mencken, who had that quote about Puritans. He said Puritans were, the goal of the Puritan was to take all the fun out of everything. That's what, that's what the world thinks of Christians. That's what they think we're like. It is incumbent on you to begin playing. Because if that's really what the Puritans thought, and I have reason to believe they didn't, but if that's what the Puritans thought, they were outside of understanding what wise, God-fearing people do. When you come into the world, you play. And as you do, you get ready for your next life. If you don't have any part of your life that is characterized by play, then when you get to heaven, you're going to look around and be like, well, this is a silly place. It's a Monty Python quote. Sorry. You're not going to fit. You're going to look at it and you're going to be like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Because you're not the kind of person who enjoys the world that God gave you. Last thing that you can write down. Play is a natural way to evangelize. 
It's difficult. I have a friend who's always asking me, Tom, how do you talk about spiritual things? He, he, he feels like he has to come out as a Christian. He has a relationship with someone at work or a friend, and there comes a point where he sort of has to just be honest, just, just, just lay it on him, I, and I'm a Christian. And he's like, how do I make my Christianity part of my life? Well, the whole point of resurrecting the rest of your life is that there is no difference between the secular world and the sacred world. They are one and the same. Infuse your, your life everywhere, including in the way you play, with a sense that this is part of God's kingdom. In fact, when someone sees you enjoying your fun, you're saying to them with your words, I'm practicing for the next life because this joy, this exuberance, this excitement, this this challenge, this moving a craft in a direction, everything that I'm doing that makes this so wonderful is just practice for everything my next life is going to be. Play should evangelize. When you play, you are just practicing. This is what heaven is going to be like. Okay. Yes. It it seems almost in some ways uh, silly to get up and to tell people to play, you know, from the pulpit. We as a people should be characterized by joyful, excited, fun experience of life. Because if you don't, if you don't, then you're going to find heaven to be a very, very uncomfortable place. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of play. We thank you that you set up a world where we can come and have fun. And that the joy we have in having fun is your aim for us. We thank you that the things that we do lead lead us to set our eyes on what heaven might be like. God, make us playful, joyful people. People that the world looks and says, why? Why would anyone be able to enjoy this that much? And let us be people who have on our lips the words, this is how we practice for heaven. In your son's name we pray, amen.